Welcome back to the Board Game Battles Podcast. I'm your host, Randall, and with me are my co-hosts, Jeff and Drew. Oh, hello. It's episode 25, and today we're going to be discussing two futuristic games that have you using dice as workers. We'll be comparing the space colonization game Alien Frontiers versus a game of dystopian future, Euphoria. And then following that discussion, we'll be uh, talking about some of the new releases coming up in D&D. There's a bit of a preview coming up uh, for um, Dragon Heist. So we're just going to you know, discuss the preview and, and, and what else is on the, uh, the agenda coming up just to uh, give our thoughts on it. And if we have time after that, we might also discuss our thoughts on the new wave of uh, streaming of D&D games and, and the online content that people have been producing and what we think about that. Um, also, um, to get that, this out now before the, uh, the end of the episode, in case you don't listen to the very end, um, if you have any suggestions for us for future episodes, if there's games that you would think would be good for us to compare, uh, send us a note. You know, send us an email, go on our, 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 um, guild and send us a message there. I'll, I'll create a, a thread on the guild for this for board game ma- uh, matchup suggestions. And then go on there. And if you have something you think you'd, it'd be good for us to talk about or you're interested in hearing about two different games, um, compared, let us know. And maybe we can do that for a future episode. Uh, we're not out of ideas yet, but you know, just getting that out there for you. Uh, but let's get into it. The first game we're talking about is Alien Frontiers, released back in March of twin, um, 2010. I'm not sure if it was March, but it was 2010. Uh, the designer is Tori Neiman. Um, he doesn't have a lot of uh, um, games under his um, under his belt. He has basically Alien Frontiers and another game called Pater. But he's been continually releasing content for Alien Frontiers. If you look through his... Uh, his releases, it's mostly um, very. He does a lot of these little expansions, and they've been continuing to come out throughout the years. And then recently, he came out with the uh, the big box, which come sort of consolidates all of that content into one box. So he, he spent most of his time just keeping up with Alien Frontiers, and then he also has a game called Pater, which he released in 2014. Uh, artists for Alien Frontiers, Peter or Pieter. Vizikowski, Karim Shakrun, Ross Grams, and Mark Maxwell. Uh, publishers are Clever Mojo Games, Game Salute, and Lockworks. Uh, the categories this game falls under are Dice and Science Fiction, Mechanisms, Area Control, Slash Area Influence, Card Drafting, Dice Rolling, and Worker Placement. It has a BGG rating of 7.5 out of 13,000 ratings. And the rate, the weight on this one, they say, is 2.57 out of 5. That's about, I guess, mid-range weight, they're saying. Yeah, it's about accurate. Yeah, uh, for, uh, and I think when, uh, as a re- we learned last time in our previous episodes, the weights tend to indicate like how heavy a game is. So like a, I think a 2.57 is probably close to a medium to a medium heavy in, 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 in their ratings. I think a 5 is like a, like a really heavy game. So it's probably two point five seven is probably like a medium game, and then like a three or a four is probably closer to a medium heavy. Well, the the ratings for the big box game were slightly higher. Oh, really? Because well, yeah, I true. see the expansions do add. Yeah, they add yeah, quite a bit to it. Weight. So yeah, that's true. I grabbed this rating off the original game, but we were looking at the and using a few of the little expansions in the big box. So yeah, the big it, box uh, it's rated at seven point nine off of uh, oh seven point nine out of how many? Oh. Mm. 
It usually says beside it, kind of. It does. It's really awkward. What is that, 225 ratings? Yeah, so not a, not a lot. <laughs> not a lot of people rating <laughs> the big box. The weight is yeah. three, though. Mm. So, yeah, so I, I would expect that slightly yeah. higher because of the expansions. Yeah. So that, that makes sense. Um, rule book. Uh, so we're, I'm mainly looking at the, uh, the master rule book for the big box. Um, but I have looked online at, like, I think it was the second revision of the original rules that they have available on BGG. And there's not a, a huge difference between them. Um, it is a fairly text intensive rule book. There's a lot of text in here. There are, are diagrams as well, but mostly text. But it's not overly um, hard to follow it, and uh, and the game really itself, uh, most of this text is just um, clarifying stuff. Um, but it's not really hard to figure this game out once you um, once you figure out the symbology and stuff. It's a it's a, it's a fairly straightforward game. Um, as far as options, we played with the agendas. agendas, and that was the only option we played with. There's also options for an ast- an outer belt, which is a separate. Um, uh, boards you add on there's faction facilities that everyone can get their own little faction card which gives you additional things but uh, we were just playing with agendas which is just a, a deck of cards that um, you add just add beside the board and, and deal out to people um, but yeah the, the rule book's really well laid out it's a it's a nice rule book I, I didn't really notice um, when I was going through it any huge errors in it like they they did their job um uh, when they were proofing it and everything, and, and it's laid out nicely. I found um, one problem with it. Oh, did you? And it related specifically to the agendas. Oh, okay. It, it's the reference material for the agendas in the book. I didn't feel was adequate enough. Like it, mm. the agendas themselves don't have names on the cards, so that because there's agendas for different expansions that you have to pull out. Yeah, mm. that's right. If you're not using all of the expansions, there are agenda cards you'll run across that you're not sure if you can fulfill it or not. And then the. the it didn't like it has all of them listed there. Yeah, but it doesn't really explain anything about them, and they're just listed. So yeah. It, so if you're if you're wondering if you have an agenda and you're wondering is this one that you should be pulling out, you kind of you, and sometimes it's hard to tell because there's when we get into the gameplay, each agenda card has two possibilities: um, one that you can play during the end game, and one that could score you a point at end game, depending on how you use it. Uh, sometimes the end game one could be played regardless of what expansion you're playing, but sometimes the end game one is expansion exp- specific. So um, there is there is like a list in the back of the book. It's like the last, second last page, and it tells you it, it tells you which the agendas on this page are all achievable using only the base game rules. Um, so if you read any of these, they're um, ones that um, don't require additional sp- expansions. But then you look at the next page and it shows you the agendas that require additional expansions. Um, so that you have to reference that quite a bit if you're not playing with everything. And, and I went to it to look for like clarification on one of the wordings. And you, hoping and it you, would explain and you didn't it. Find it, didn't, it. Yeah, it, it's just relisted the thing. And it's not it's not huge. We figured it out. Yeah. It, it was just a minor gripe. It wasn't super important. Mm-hmm. And I think the bigger fault was that they didn't have the agenda cards titled. So that you could easily that's sort right. There's them. no title to each card. It's yeah, just it was just text. You got to read the text and, and match it up to the to the one that's in the book, and and yeah, so it can be a bit of a pain that way. Um, that's yeah, you're right. That's probably one of the few quite uh, gripes we had about it. 
but again, we didn't it, play with the other options, so it's hard to tell. Yeah, if it's hard anything. to tell. But yeah. the, I mean, mostly it's more of a card design gripe than a rule book because the rule yeah. book was still laid out well enough. It was mm-hmm. easy enough to find the, the stuff you needed. It just, yeah, it would have been easier with some titles on the agenda cards. Yeah, and it, like considering it's a it's a thick rule book, it um it wasn't hard to to find stuff in here, so it's, no. it's laid out well. Which is good, considering like I know Game Salute doesn't have the best reputation out there. Some people complain about um, some of their releases, um, t- typically to do with component quality and that kind of thing, uh, or or sometimes they they consider them to be a bit hastily put out. But this one is definitely one that's been done well. Like they, they did a good job with this one. Um, components uh, components are mostly well. There's a lot of dice. It's a there's a you know, fairly, it's a good sized board that sits in the middle of the table. It, you know, everyone has dice in their color. They have a few pawns in their color. Um, and these little um, mini kind of colonies, which are like little domed cities in their color as well. And all mostly all in plastic. I think in, in this edition, it's all in plastic. In the original, original edition, it was like wood, I think. Yeah, I think all of the pieces were wood. Yeah. Except for the dice. Yeah, but the, the plastic edition is, is quite nice. Um, I think it's the only... And I played previous um, versions of this as well, like before the big box. And even then I was playing with the plastic pieces. So the people who had it probably upgraded at some point or got into it at at a later edition where it was all plastic. Um, So I'm used to the plastic and it's, it's, I like it. It gives you a little bit of a bit more theme to it because the little domes, there's like clear little domes on little plastic cities and they look nice enough. Other than the plastic components you have for your user, your people, you have um, cards, various cards throughout the game. Um, there's alien tech cards that are used. Uh, everyone starts with um, one alien tech. You get to choose a couple. You get a couple, and you have to choose one uh, to start with, which gives you um, the bit of the uh, variable player power thing. Um, this one doesn't really talk about variable player powers. Um, they talk about card drafting and the mechanisms. I guess that's the closest thing they have to card drafting. I don't know why they would even list card drafting as a mechanism because you're not really drafting cards yeah you get two cards and you choose one well you guess you could really say that's drafting yeah. but i guess the technologies because <laughs> yeah. you yeah well that's the thing up cards but it's not really drafting. it's not really drafting. no um but yeah those there's those are the cards you have in the game when you add in options like we were using the agendas there's some more cards you get and everyone i think starts with a couple agendas um, and you choose how you want to play them, um, but we'll go that into that with the uh, gameplay. Um, other than that, it's just dice, and I can't think of any other real components. Well, that's about it. Yeah. The dice, those little plastic pieces everyone has, and um, some cards. So not a you know not a huge um, a, a lot of, not a lot of stuff you have to worry about. So it's not too bad. There's a few um, plastic components as well. There's these different field generators that can get used in the game. They sort of sit off to the side. There's three different ones of three different colors, and they have different abilities if they if they come into the game. Um, additionally, let's see. Uh, rules. So this is how the game um, plays. You determine start player. The way they suggest to do that is to roll dice, and the highest roll is the starting player. I believe that's what it was. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and then you do your turns. So everyone starts with um, two ships, which is just two dice. Um, you roll your dice and 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 play with what you have. Um, various places on the board. Now there's you're you're all essentially colonizing this one planet. 
they don't i don't know if they determine anywhere in the rules what the planet is we were thinking maybe it's mars they no, the game board shows planet maxwell its moon the stations in orbit around the planet and the solar system star so it's not mars it's some planet called maxwell so it's just some random planet they designed okay it um so you get this big planet in the center of the uh the board with uh eight different quadrants on the planet uh each quadrant is named after an author uh, there's pole, there's one after Pole, there's one after um, Asimov, and you know, tons of other ones. Heinlein. Uh, each quadrant also has a special ability with it, and these special abilities um, will give you additional powers if you have the majority control of that quadrant. So when you start landing your your colonies on the planet, um, whoever lands on the quadrant first will gain control of it, and as long as they ma- maintain majority control of that quadrant, they'll have that power for as long as they can hold on to it. Around the planet are various um, different, I don't know what you call them, space stations or, or they're areas you can go and use your dice. Um, there's a solar converter in the top corner, top left corner. Um, it's used for gaining energy, which you'll use in other locations. There's a terraforming station. It's a place where you'll put a die to um, automatically turn that die into a colony by spending um some solar energy and some ore which you get from another location um in order to use that location you have to have at least um three dice in your you have to have at least gotten an additional die you know i think i'm wrong it's three you You start start with with three three. dice not two i'd say we start with two but you actually start with three dice um but still you have to have a fourth dice before you can use that terraforming station um, under the terraforming station is the maintenance bay. That's where any dice will go if they, say, get destroyed. Or if you ever find that you can't use a die, it goes to the maintenance bay. Um, it's, I think that we may, maybe for a six-player game, there might be more chances of that happening. In a, in a four, no, we're playing three-player in a three-player game. That never happened. So it's more if a, if a ship gets destroyed or, or whatever, for some reason, they'll go to the maintenance bay. And then you'll get it back on your next turn. There's the shipyard, and this is how you get additional dice to use. Um, by spend, You have to have a pair of dice. So to go into the shipyard, you have to have a rolled a pair of whatever number. It doesn't matter. Um, you put your two dice in the shipyard, spend the, the appropriate number of energy and ore, and it gets more and more as you're getting more and more dice. So your first time you go there, it's one energy, one ore. will get you your next die, your fourth dice. Uh, to get your fifth dice, it's two and two, and your sixth and final dice is uh, three and three. Um, so that's what the shipyard's for, getting additional dice for your pool. Um, when you build those dice, they go into the maintenance bay. You don't get them right away, I believe. No, the no, next they, turn. Yeah. yeah, you don't get them to the next turn, so right. you go to the maintenance bay. Under the shipyard, in the bottom uh, left corner of the uh, the board, is the colonist hub. This is another way you can get colonists onto the board. It, uh, it's not as destructive as the terraforming station, so you don't lose a ship when you're using it. You're just placing your ship on, on one of the rows and advancing a colony along this little colony track until it gets to the end. And then once it gets to the end, you have to pay an energy and an ore to send it down to the planet. And then at, when it goes down to the planet is where you, when you choose where you're going to put it on that planet to try to gain control of or, or influence a certain area. Uh, the bottom middle of the board has a colony constructor, so it's another way of getting colonies to the board. In order to use it, you have to roll triples, so three of the same number. 
And then once you've done that, it costs three ore to send a, uh, a ship down. Uh, in the bottom right corner of the board is the lunar mine. That's how you get ore. And you do that by placing a die on its... It has a place for up to five dice, and it depends on how many players you're, pl you're playing with. In a, a three-player game, there's some locations you can't use, so they block off a few players, um, a few dice, if you're playing with um, less than four players. So in a three-player game, there's four locations available in the Lunar Mine. But in order to use it, your die has to be equal to or higher than any dice that are there. So if you're the first person there, it's not a problem. But anyone following that die has to have a, a value equal to or less than, or greater than the number that's already there. And when you place a die there, you get one ore. So that's the main way you can get ore, but there are other ways. Uh, to the um, right middle is the Raider Outpost. Raiders Outpost. Uh, in order to place dice there, you have to have three sequential dice. So one, two, three, two, three, four, whatever. And then you can place those three dice there and do a, a raiding mission. Um, a raid is when you're stealing resources or an alien tech card from other players. If you're doing resources, you can steal a combination of up to four energy slash or um, from any number of players um, when you're doing it. Um, or a single te alien tech card from one player. Uh, in order to use that location, if there's no dice there, it's, you just have to have your sequential number. Um, but people can bump you off. And if they're bumping you off, they have to have a higher sequence than yours. So if you have one, two, three, they'd have to bump you off with a two, three, four or higher. Um, anyway, when you get bumped from the Raiders outpost, your ships go to the maintenance bay. And then you can get them back the next uh, round. In the top right corner is uh, the alien artifact location. It has um, a, a room for up to four dice. Um, and then you have different things you can do. And this is tied to the deck of alien artifacts that are um, out. Um, with the alien artifacts, you have a deck and you have three face-up artifacts that are available. To take an artifact, you have to place dice in that location that total in value of eight or greater. Um, so it could be two or three dice or more just to get that value of eight. You take one of those available alien artifacts and then it'll get refreshed from the pile. If you don't like what's there, you can put one die of any value down in that location and it'll wipe the, um, the three that are there and bring three new ones out. And then the last location is in the top middle and that's the orbital market. And this is the other way you can get ore. And when you're playing with agendas, it's also how you can get agendas. Um, what it is, is you put down a pair of dice and spend, and you can spend energy based on the, the value of one of the die. So if you have put down two ones, you're spending one energy um, to get one ore. Um, you can do it multiple times. So if you had like five energy on you, you could spend five energy to get five ore, if you, as long as your dice, is, dice are both ones. If you put something high up like a six, then you'd be spending six energy to get one ore. So you have to be careful what you're putting there. But that's another place you can get ore. You can also, instead of getting ore, put a pair of dice up there and take two agenda cards and choose one of them to keep. I believe that's what it was. All right. Well, no. Wait, oh, you no, could, choose. You yeah. get two and you can get rid of. You can even get one of one hand. you're holding on to. Yeah. That's right. Because um, you can only, the most agenda cards you can have are three, um, whether played or not. So as soon as you play an agenda card, um, it counts towards your limit of three. You can only have two in your hand after that. 
Um, so yeah, you can get two agenda cards from the uh, the agenda deck and choose which ones you're going to discard. Uh, the only other things to mention, um, resources like uh, energy and or you have a, a limit of how much you can hold in front of you. Um, was it eight or ten? Eight. Eight? Okay. So you can have a maximum of eight uh, in a combination of energy and ore. So you want to be spending that. You want to hold on to it too much if you can. Um, and the game ends once somebody has placed their final uh, colony. Uh, the number of colonies you're placing uh, it will de- depend on the number of players. In a three-player game, everyone has pl- is playing with seven colonies. I think in a four-player game, it's six, potentially. And uh, it does play more than that as well. I think. I think with the big box, you can play up to six players. Yeah, some of the expansions allow up to six. Yeah, and you have to be using the um, expansions to really take advantage of that because you wouldn't want to be playing with just the base board. And that would be way too hard to find be, space. Yeah, exactly. Plus, they only give you so many locations. The board really is is sort of laid out for a four player game, um, and that, that's why they really give you the expansions like the Outer Belt. And um, I'm not sure what else there is in there to help you take advantage of the additional um, locations and stuff. Um, but yeah, that's essentially the game. It's just um, every turn you're rolling, you're taking your dice back that you haven't lost, rolling them, doing what you can with them, and then the next player goes. Um, so yeah, you're using all of your dice in your turn as best you can before you, you pass on to the next person. There is a score track as well. It goes to 14 points, but that's not. There's no limit really. You can go beyond that. And I, we didn't really get beyond it. I don't think it's we're close. close. But yeah. yeah, it would have been fairly easy to get above it. Yeah, yeah. Um, the three different generators you can get. There's a, um, a repulsive repulsion or repulsive field. It um, if you um, get a card that lets you place it, it'll take an area that you place it in and make it so that. No additional um, colonies can be put in that area or removed from that area. Sort of locks down a colony. There's a positron field. That basically wherever it is, whoever has majority of that area um, gets an additional point. So it's sort of like a floating point if it gets out. And the last one, isolation Isolation. field. The isolation field nullifies a territory's bonus. So if you put it in a territory... Whoever controls that territory won't be able to use its bonus. I'll just briefly, quickly go through the bonuses of the different um, areas on the board. Um, There's Asimov's Crater. You can advance your colony one extra circle each turn when you dock more than one ship at the Colonist Hub. So with with the Colonist Hub, each time you put a die down, you're advancing your colony one space on this little track. And when it gets to the end, you can place it. So with Asimov's Crater, as long as you put two or more dice down, and the most you can put down are three, in that area, um, you get one additional space with it. And one thing with it, it does loop. So if you push a, a ship to the very end, to the seventh space, and then drop it, but you had additional spaces available because of Asimov's crater or the dice you placed down, um, then you can start a new colony right away on the track and, and advance it. So you, you don't lose anything that you would have gotten by by placing dice down on that location. Uh, so that's Asimov's Crater. It gives you a bonus for, for advancing colonies on that hub. Uh, there's the Bradbury, Bradbury Plateau. Um, pay one less ore than usual when using the colony constructor. So the colony constructor is where you have to put down three dice that are equal value. Um, and then pay three ore. So this would let you pay two ore instead to put a colony on the board. 
And all these locations are they're tied to the to an area that's near them. So like Asmod's Crater is right by the Colony Hub. Bradbury Plateau is right by the uh, Colony Constructor. So it makes sense of where they're they're placed and how their um, bonuses work. Uh, there's the Burroughs Desert. That's actually the one colony that's in the very middle of the board and it's not tied to anywhere else. Whoever has majority there gets to purchase a special relic ship for one fuel and one ore. Um, and when you've done that, it goes into the uh, maintenance bay right away, but then in future turns you'll get to use it. And it's just a, a clear die. Instead of being colored, it's a clear die, but you get to use it just like one of your re regular ships. So that's the uh, advantage of that one. Uh, there's the Heinlein Plains. Your trading ratio is always one fuel to one ore when using the orbital market. So regardless of what value of dice you put up in the orbital market, if you put a six, two sixes up there, you're only paying one fuel for an ore regardless, which is nice. Um, that's a huge advantage um, and it sort of frees up what you can do. The Herbert Valley, pay one less fuel and ore than usual for each ship you build at the shipyard. So that makes your, like, your fourth ship free. And then your fifth ship and sixth ship's a little cheaper. There's the Lem Badlands. Gain one additional fuel for each ship you dock at the solar converter. Uh, I didn't really describe the solar converter. Um, in the, um, the the top right area with the solar solar converter where you get energy, when you place a die up there, you'll get a, num a number of energy equal to half the value of the die rounded up. So a one or a two will get you um, one energy. Or rounded down, is it? A two or a three will get you two energy, and a three and a four... No, no, no. Round it up. A one, two, three, four... <clears throat> oh, a three and a four will get you two energy, and a five or a six will get you three energy. Right. Yeah, round it up. Yeah. So if you have the Lambadlands, you'll get an additional fuel each time you dock there. Energy tends to be fairly easy to get, but sometimes it might be good to have that additional one, especially if you need it that churn right away. Or if you rolled low. Or if you roll low, yeah, exactly. Um, then there's the pole foot, foothills. Uh, you pay one less fuel than normal for each alien tech card you use. Um, alien tech cards, they have different advantages. And typically what it's going to be is you're paying a, a fuel to do something. Um, there's usually two different things you can do with an alien tech card. There'll be like a, a part where you can pay something to do something. But then there'll usually be a part where you can discard the card to get a different effect. So if, if it has any kind of um, fuel cost on it, you pay one less. And then there's the last one is the Van Vocht Mountains. And the first ship you dock at the lunar mine each turn may be of any value. So say somebody is locking down the lunar mines with like a six value ship and you have to have a six or, you know, you have to have a six to place there. If you control the Van Vocht Mountains, um, you can put a one there for your first ship and still be able to get an ore and not be uh, locked out. Uh, so that's what the different areas on the board do. Yeah. And so that is what, yeah, that's what's on the board. That's, and that's essentially how you play the game. So I know it's been a few plays for me. Um, Drew had played it once before this and it was a really late night when we played that game. And so it was, uh, it was good to get it, get it out again and, and, and play it fresh. And then this was Jeff's first play. So, what did you guys think? Well, I I have to say I like it because I bought it. The <laughs> well, big you box, bought the big box, so you better say yeah, you like it. <laughs> the big box is not cheap. Yes. Um, yeah. But at, at, at this point, I, uh, it's probably the only way that you can 
easily get 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 all the expansions get all the content because yeah. yeah like some some of it's out of print you you can probably still find it somewhere or get it on bgg trades but um yeah it's probably the only easy way to get it all and the big the big box is pretty accessible at the moment anyway yeah so um but yeah like like you said the the first time i played it was um during a game convention it was very late I think we finished the game at about three, you know, after a full day of, of playing games, I was exhausted at that time and just dying to get out of there. But, um, so yeah, it, it wasn't, the, you know, the best experience, but, but I kind of had this, this idea that I, that I really wanted to like it. You know, I, mm-hmm. I love the space theme for it. So yeah, I, I gambled a little bit and I knew we were doing this show. So I just went out and picked it up. Um, yeah, I, I quite enjoy it. I, I'm quite fond of sci-fi theme material, so. Yeah, and then did a good job with this game. Like yeah. I think originally, I'm not, I'm not sure if it was a Kickstarter originally. I thought it was. It was, yeah. Yeah. Uh, so it was, it'd be like an early Kickstarter in 2010. Yeah. I don't remember when Kickstarter started, but it was. So in, in the game we played, uh, I, I think maybe, you know, we were sort of refreshing our, our memory about it and Jeff was learning the game. Um, we kind of avoided each other through that the last first part. Game. Yeah. There was there was a lot more conflict that we could have yes. we could have done. So we yeah. we didn't bring in any of those um, like we didn't bring in the inhibitor fields. No, you know we didn't yeah. bring those in, and those can really um, change change the the you know how the game progresses. Um, so yeah, I think for the most part we we avoided. I think you and you and Randall had uh, contested some territory. A little and, bit, yeah. Um, you know we'd taken. You know, taking a, a a tech card off of each other somewhere in there. Yeah, but, there but for the most part, yeah, it yeah. could have been a lot more conflict. Well, part of the problem though is we were pretty consistently through the game having a hard time getting doubles and triples. So we were, it, yeah, and I mean, it's not a, going to be regular. We we're just rolling poorly. Like mm-hmm. probabilities weren't working for us. So we couldn't yeah. use some of the things consistently that would have allowed confrontation a little more frequently. True. It does because there is a randomness and there are the requirements of, yeah, like sometimes doubles or straights or, or yeah. triples to use some areas. It um, it can really make a difference with the game. So and there's it's a, like the first time I yeah. finally rolled a straight, I didn't need to raid people. Yeah, it's so like, I can it, use a Raiders Outpost, but... Yeah, <laughs> it's better to go somewhere else. Yeah. And, yeah. and early with the market, we pretty much ignored the market i think for the first at first we did yeah because we we needed doubles to build ships and Mm -hmm. stuff like that and then it started to become hard to get in there because someone would place and you only have the one slot with a three-player game so Mm -hmm. it was difficult to use that so it was more of a we were competing with each other more in the slot the dice slots that we could use not that we never got locked out completely like someone always had a use for their dice but I feel like we could have made a little bit more use of the alien tech. Yeah, we didn't use that a lot in in yeah the previous game we played at the GameCon. I mean, there, there was a couple couple people at the table that just yeah you know load up on alien tech, and um you know it's something that that later in the game like mid to late game that just becomes a monster. Like they Can. have so many special abilities. Yeah, and I think it's it's in, it's the alien tech that really gets into stuff like moving colonies around on the planet. Yeah. Where we weren't, we didn't have an ability to do that because we didn't have the appropriate alien tech for that. Um, and yeah, those those fields, like I had an ability to bring out the positron field, but I never did get it out. Yeah. 
um, which, you know, could have been a point. Um, and we didn't end, actually see the other ones because we weren't refreshing. We the weren't, yeah, we weren't cards. going through the cards so fast yeah. that we were seeing the other ones, but they were out there. Yeah. Well, and that's what I thought was, you know, if, if those fields had got, you know, got onto the table, um, you know, really the only way to, to manipulate those is through those tech cards. Yep. So it is, you know, I think at that point you, you'd start seeing people just going crazy, you know, burning through those cards to try to get something to manipulate mm-hmm. those fields. So, yeah. But um, no, I, I had I had fun playing it, and yeah, like I said, I, I enjoyed the space theme and um, the new. I mean, we didn't play with uh, you know a lot of the expansions, but you know, playing with the ex- expanded agendas deck and, and yeah, uh, definitely we'll we'll have yeah. to try it again with some of the other expansions yeah. to, to see how they play. Well, out like the, and... the factions, like the yeah, that looks like it would add a lot to the game. This like I enjoyed my first playthrough quite a bit, and looking at what you can add with some of the expansions that came in the big box, the factions in particular really intrigued me with yeah. Yeah. special powers and stuff. Yeah. With the factions, you get us, that's the one where you get the special, bo- everyone has like a little square board in front of them and it has two abilities on it. Uh, one that you can take advantage of that's, that's for the player. And then one that other people can take advantage of as well by placing a ship there. And then sometimes they will trigger off of each other too. So you might want to do it yourself as well. Like quite often you'll probably want to use your space, but it, it's available to other people too. So that helps, give you you know then when you're playing with more than four players that definitely helps because that's giving like another five to six additional spaces you can go to with a ship mm-hmm. so i'd say that the base game is kind of a race almost because it yeah. really is whoever gets the most colonies down is going to have the most points and yeah. as soon as your colonies are done there's some variance there with like the positron thing and yeah stuff like yeah. that i didn't really describe fully describe the end playing conditions um it is a race to get everyone whoever has the gets the first, last colony out first ends the game now it doesn't necessarily win it though because you get points based on uh, every colony you have on the planet is a point um if you control an area that's an additional point for each area you can control um there's additional points that can come from um sometimes from these agenda cards so the agenda cards have two um, ways to play them um if you meet a condition during the game you can flip it over right away and say i get a point for this because i meet this and then you go up on the track um but if not there's also an end game condition so that once everyone's done and everything is is you're tallying up final scores you can flip over your your agenda cards that haven't been done during the game and if you meet the end game conditions you'll get additional points there so there's 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 other ways to get points other than getting your colonies down. But. Well, the, the, you'll see all all of those points during game, except for end game, end game agendas. Yeah. yeah, and and if you've got you know like I think even one could potentially upset the apple cart. Well, yeah, well, you'd that, need two actually, I guess, because you have to you have to be one ahead of the you know like you yeah, know, the point scoring is pretty tight yeah yeah so it is actually pretty tight yeah even like one point coming at the end can make a huge difference yeah yeah but that that's like the more expansions i think you add the less of a race it becomes and the more Mm -hmm. strategic Mm -hmm. it becomes and i think that adds a lot to the game like even just the agendas i could see what the base game was going to be and the agendas added an element that was definitely good yeah and the factions would add stuff and i don't know about the asteroid belt yeah, we didn't stuff, look at the outer belt into that, it but but yeah it has a whole separate thing of cards i think and i as i have played with it once before and it was a while ago but it has like a row a row of cards and i think depending on when you go there you might get you know because the cards move it's, it's sort of like an asteroid belt and 
depending on when you go there, you might get a different card. I, I, I think it's, it's been, I haven't, I haven't read it and it's been a long time since I played it, but it, um, something like that. But anyways, um, I yeah. don't think any of them seem to add too much complexity. Either. No, it, it's just a few more options, a little diversity in point scoring. So all good from what I could see. So mm-hmm. hopefully we'll get to try those out and yeah. see for sure what they're yeah, like. We, should. we definitely should. Okay. So that was alien frontiers. Uh, now we're going to go on to Euphoria, uh, another Stegmeier game. So it's not the, we've done Viticulture before. Um, so now we're going to be doing the next game in their list. <laughs> this one is Euphoria, which came out in 2013. Uh, the designer was Jamie Stegmeier and Alan Stone. Um, the Stegmeier, um, Stonemeyer games, of course, have come out with Viticulture, Euphoria, um, Scythe, Charterstone, and then there's more to come. Um, and actually even for Euphoria, it, this is a 2013 game. Um, I was looking at one of the emails that he sends out regularly with updates. There's going to be an expansion for Euphoria coming in. Uh, it looks like potentially first quarter or so of, uh, 2019. So they're actually still supporting this game, even though it's, you know, it's a, it's a five-year-old game already. Artists for this one was, uh, Jackie Davis, uh, publishers, Stonemeyer Games, but then a few others, depending on where you are, ADC Black. Fire Entertainment, Fire On Board, Jogos, Gaga Games, Morning Players, and SD Games. Uh, they're only listed under the science fiction category, but for mechanisms, they uh, they have dice rolling, hand management, set collection, variable player powers, worker placement. And it has a BGG rating of 7.3 out of 7,000 ratings, and a weight they list of 3.12 out of 5. Um, so they... Weighted a little bit higher. I don't know if it necessarily is a more complex game. No, but, it uh, is. It, but, yeah, I yeah, agree I with that. Because so? yeah, the, there's less less competition for spaces because you can bump people out in the spaces that don't like you go collect energy. Say once you get into the game True. mechanics, it, it's yeah. like anybody can kind of go there. But you need to have a plan of action otherwise you're just going to start wasting your turns and True. i think you that's really where the extra to... weight comes yeah. in yeah there's a lot more decision making in this yeah what faction yeah. you're going to focus on or mm-hmm. what resources you need two turns from now that right. type of thing there, there's a little more weight okay mm-hmm. yeah that makes sense uh rule book now i'm looking at the original rule book that came with this game um so ours was like an original i, I don't know if it's ever if it's changed from this it is a game that's still available you can still buy it um, even looking at their timelines, if it isn't in stock at your store now, I think in November they're doing another run of it, so it's going to be available. But the rulebook is is a pretty typical um, Stolmeyer rulebook. It's it's you know it, of course it has a lot of text, but it has a lot of diagrams. It's very colorful. Um, for the most part, it's easy to find stuff in here, but sometimes you're, you're you have to read through to try to find a specific thing. Um, so you really do have to be aware of. Um, what you're looking for. So on your very first playthrough, it might be a bit much um, to keep track of everything. And that is kind of where some of that additional weight can come into this game. Because um, there is a lot to keep track of. it. There is a lot to keep track in this game. Um, even though it's a fairly simple worker placement game, really, um, it's just knowing how some of the different mechanisms work. And, and, and sometimes with some of the symbology, uh, realizing there's multiple ways you can do things, even if you may not realize it, um, but it, it is a good, it is a nicely laid out rule book, and it is um, it's quite well done, and it's uh, it's, it's fairly typical of the, of the quality you get from Stonemaier Games. Uh, components, 
again, this was a, a the, the original Kickstarter. Um, so I don't know if the um, the current versions how much they differ from from what I have here. So it, you get a really nice board with it. I believe the regular editions that you get in the in, in the um, stores right now are the, the you get a full color board. Um, but with a Kickstarter on the opposite side is a black and white board with with color highlights. So that's not something I don't believe you get any longer unless you did the Kickstarter. I think that was the only way to get that. But the rest of the components, I, and again, I don't know what the uh, current retail edition is like. Because um, with this edition, it had wood components for like the stars. Um, you have all these little stars which you use for placing on the board. And the goal of the game is to get all your stars out. The first person to get their stars out wins. Um, it's uh, getting your influence out on the board. I think you have 10 stars you have to work on getting out on the board. And there's different ways you can do that. But in my edition, it's yeah, it's uh, it's wood stars. Um, you have a, a heart token and a, a head token. That indicates your intelligence, your worker intelligence level for the head and the morale, morale level for the heart. And there's a couple couple tracks on the board for keeping um, keeping uh, remembering where you're at for what level the uh, those that those are at. Um, the morale level indicates your hand size, and it starts at one. So at the beginning of the game, you have a hand limit of one, and hand limit only comes into play for these things called artifact cards. And the intelligence level is um, uh, indicated with a head. Everyone starts at intelligence level of three, and the intelligence level is helps you determine whether or not your workers get too intelligent because this is a dystopian future. You want to keep your people nice and dumb. Otherwise, they get discontent if they get too intelligent. Or you get too many workers and their intelligence together sort of helps mess you up. But yeah, the object of the game is to get your influence tokens out. So get all your influence tokens out. So there's no real points in the game. It's just getting your influence out. The first person to do it wins. Um, it is a worker placement game, so you're using dice. Uh, so everybody gets um, dice in their color. Uh, there's four dice per player, but you only start with two the other two set off to the side and you can get them later um, other components besides that there's uh, resources for there's three different types of resources there's uh, gold um, stone ore wherever stone and um, uh, the final one is clay so there's the three resources you can get and then there's also commodities and there's four different commodities there's food uh, electricity water and a thing called bliss and those are represented by um, little wooden tokens. Um, so I think the current versions of these games are wood for everything, but I'm not 100% sure. Um, the upgraded components in uh, my version for the uh, resources, I you, um, you get like the, the nice little metal gold bricks. You get um, these, these round sort of stones to use for the stone. And you get this sort of, it looks like clay kind of bricks that you use for, uh, for the clay. Um, I'm not sure what the current retail version gives you for that. I'm pretty sure it's all wood. You think it's all wood? Okay. All wood. But with Stonemeyer Games, they come up with these things called treasure chests or whatever, and you can always upgrade your components for any of their games by picking up one of these treasure chests. So um, they make nice little, they make nice components that you can use for pretty much any game. Um, so that's the, uh, the that's the components. A lot of wood, nice boards, good car good quality cards. Um, the types of cards, like I said, there's artifact cards. 
Artifact cards have just pictures of varying artifacts. It could be a, an old pair of glasses. It could be a bat. It could be a bear. It could be some balloons. There's even a picture of Viticulture on one of them. So these, as a board game, Viticulture is an example. And that's the game that came out just before this one. So those are artifact cards. You'll use them in different ways as you play the game. And again, your hand limit will determine how many of those artifacts you can hold in your hand at any time. Uh, other cards you get, everyone will get a loyalty card, which they keep face down. And at some point during the game, you'll want to flip up and make a choice. The choice is always the same. The text is different. So the type of choice you're making, um, whether it be to... Um, help your friend escape with uh, with with some air balloons or um, prevent him from escaping from shoot by shooting his air balloons um, those that's the kind of choice you'll have to make on your on your card um, in order to flip it over every card needs something a little different it'll either require a specific artifact card to discard to flip it or two of any artifact card doesn't matter if they match or not um, to flip it so you have two different ways you can flip the card and when you make the choice, if you um, help the person escape, um, you get to take two additional recruit cards, and I'll talk about recruits in a second, and um, choose one to keep. Or you can, if you um, turn the person in or whatever it is to prevent them from doing what they're doing, you can take one of your um, influence stars and stick it on the card. So that's a way to get rid of one of your stars right away. Um, everyone also starts the game with two recruits. You get a choice. You start with four recruits and you choose two to keep. One you'll have flipped over right away and one you'll keep face down. There's four different factions in the game. Uh, there's the Ikkarites, there's the um, Wastelanders, there's the Subterrans, and there's the Euphorians. And each faction, you know, they have four different, there's, um, there's some, on the board, there's four different areas where you're increasing the faction level for each faction as you play the game. Um... So you'll get different benefits depending on what faction you're playing. Um, so each faction will give you a benefit for their specific area on the board. And each faction, like when you have a, a faction, the first person you start with face up will give you some kind of special benefit as well. So I, I had a guy that, I think he was a, a Wastelander. His special ability was, if I ever gain an intelligence, uh, my morale would also go up at the same time. So it helped me increase my hand size if my intelligence ever went up. That was his special ability. Um, and then my face-down card could have been of the same or different faction. Um, there's benefits to both, keeping the same faction or, or going different factions. Because if you go with a different faction, you get diff more benefits around the board. But if you say the same faction, there's a better chance of getting more stars out later. The game board is spread out into different areas. Um, each faction sort of has their own little area of the board. The Icarites are at the top of the board. They sort of work in the clouds. Uh, and their main co um, commodity that they're producing is bliss. Um, it's like a gas, maybe, that will help keep people happy. Um, but they're also a little different from the other factions because the other factions all have areas where you can sort of do mining. And as you're doing mining, you get different benefits from it. Whereas the Icarites don't have mining because they're out in the clouds. Um, but they do have the advantage of, I think it's a little easier to get influence stars out with them. And um, there's other things that they can do as well that maybe are a little bit easier than the other factions. Uh, the other factions in each of their areas have um, locations where you can go to get different their, their commodities. So uh, Wastelanders um, produce, I believe they produce 
um, food. Yeah. The uh, Euphorians produce electricity, and then the Subterrans produce water. Um, they also have areas where they're doing mining. And once that mining gets complete, it gives you a special area that only people who have workers of that faction can use to um, do things a bit easier. So, like, the Euphorians will get an area that gives them free electricity, like free electricity instead of having to worry about going to the electricity farms. Whereas the Subterrans, or I think it's the... The Wastelanders do the electricity. The Subterrans go up to the Well, that's right. It gives, you an, it gives you a thing that you don't normally get, I think. Yeah. So, like, yeah, the Wastelanders will produce electricity at the end of a thing, whereas normally they have an area where they have farms for food. Um, the Euphorians can get um, water, which normally they produce electricity in their areas. And then the Subterrans can get, um, what's the last one? Food. Food. food they produce where, water. And normally they produce water. How the game works is, yeah, you're rolling your dice. Everyone starts with two workers, and at, the, you roll your dice at the same time. Whoever has the higher total is the starter player. Um, but those dice stay. Once you've rolled them, you stay. They're, and that's their starting initial intelligence. Um, so you have two dice in front of you. If you ever roll or gain um, equal numbers, and it can be if they rolled at the same time, became you know two fours, or you get a, a four, or you get a die off the board and re-roll it, and it matches the die you already have. And then you can, when it's your turn again, you can play those dice together. So whenever you have pairs or triplets or whatever, those dice can be played at the same time. Otherwise, you're just playing a single die on your turn, and it goes on to the next person. If ever the total intelligence of the people, of the workers in front of you, combined with where the intelligence track is, equal or exceeds 16, then you lose the worker with the highest intelligence. And so you can go down to one die in theory, if your intelligence gets too high on the track. Um, but to start the game, it's impossible to lose a die because if you roll two sixes, you start with an intelligence level of three, you're only at uh, 15, you can't lose a die. But um, later on in the game, it, it can become more common, especially as you get more workers. So you take your worker with their intelligence, whatever the number is, and place it on the board. There's different areas on the board that you can place workers. Most of them um, just take a single worker, um, if it has a, a hard outline around the, the spot, it can't be bumped off of that spot. So the only way it comes off is if, if you take it off. If it has a dashed outline around the spot, it can be bumped. So you put your worker there, or you can bump someone's worker who's already there. They get their worker back. They have to roll it and make sure that their total doesn't go over 16 when they roll that worker, but that's how it works. Um, otherwise, if you... Um, come around to your turn and you have no dice in front of you, you have to retrieve workers. And there's two ways to retrieve. You can either spend a food or a bliss and take back any or all of your workers and re-roll them and then next turn you'll be able to use them. Um, or you can not spend anything if you, um, if you don't have the resources in front of you or you don't want to spend them. You can lose a morale, which will affect your hand size, and then take back um, any or all of your workers at that time. You don't have to take back all your workers. You can leave some on the board, but you have the option to take them all back if you want. Um, other areas that you can go to, there's each of the th three main factions, actually all the factions, even the Icarites, have a, like a farming area. And it's a, a big square that has a solid um, line around it, but any number of dice can go there. And you gain an award um, when you go there based on the total combined intelligence of the workers in that spot. And there's um, different rewards you get based on how many, uh, the, the intelligence level. 
So from level, I think, one to four, you gain um, a food and you advance the appropriate loyalty track up a notch. Um, on the loyalty track for each of the four factions, um, there's three different reward things that come into play when the loyalty gets to certain levels. The first level um, increases the rewards you get in their farm, uh, only for people who have workers of the faction that's associated with that farm. The second tier gets you a, a reward when you're mining. The three different factions that mine... Um, when you do, when you go to the mining space, you make a choice. You're either taking the resource that you're mining, which could be gold. Usually it's either gold, um, uh, clay or stone, or you can take an artifact card. So as you're mining, you find an artifact. So when you get to the second tier for that faction, the either or becomes an and, and then people who are of the appropriate factions can take both the rewards, the or uh, the material they're mining, and uh, a artifact card. Uh, for Icarites, it's a little different because they're not, they don't do any mining. Um, they get the ability whenever they place a, um, influence star in the influence area of the Icarite section, they get an artifact card. So that's what their second tier does. And then the last, um, tier is you get to flip over when, when the faction gets to the third tier, anybody who has a hidden worker, or a face-down worker of that appropriate faction gets to flip it over. So, like when if you have like if you say say have a euphorian in front of you face up, but you have say a wastelander face down. If the wastelander track gets to the third tier, anybody who has a wastelander can flip that wastelander over. There's a second way of doing that um, beyond just the uh, the uh, the tiers uh, during the mining of the three different types. When you get to a certain point in mining, there's a little worker that, that advances a mining track. When that wor worker gets to a certain point in the mining track, which is getting close to the end, it's not quite the end, but almost there, there's another opportunity to flip over cards. So there's two ways to flip over your appropriate worker cards, either through mining or getting to the third tier of the loyalty track. And on the loyalty track, at the very end of the loyalty track, when you get to the very end of it, is a star. And if a faction gets to the end, people can place um, their influence stars on any workers they have of that appropriate faction. So if, if like the Euphorians get all the way to the end, if you have a Euphorian face up, you can place a star on it. So it's another way of getting rid of your stars. And then finally around the board are markets. Each faction um, has like two different markets sort of associated with it, except for the, I'm not sure. No, the Icarites didn't have, yeah, that. the Icarites don't have that again. The Icarites don't have markets faction. Um, these markets start face down and there's, it comes, the board, the game comes with quite a few markets and you shuffle them up and you place down two markets in each area. And each market can be built with resources, the gold, clay, and stone. Um, beside each market is a number of spaces and each space will have a symbol based on what resource it requires to build it based on the number of players, um, will determine how many resources are required to build that market. At the most, it's going to be four different resources, um, for a four player game, which we did, um, it only required three of any of the resources to build each market. Um, whenever you, whenever the, uh, the, res the resources are met for a market, it flips over. The people who contributed to building that market get to put an influence marker on that market. And then it opens up a new place you can go 
for adding influence to a, a special area. Each each market has associated with it an area for placing influence, and the Icarites have their own special area for placing influence. It's like a little star that has a number of available quadrants that you can place a, a, one of your stars in, and some of them are covered up depending on the number of players. So in a four-player game, there was two spaces covered up in each area, so you could only place a maximum of four influence in a particular of uh, these little influence areas. Uh, with the markets, if you don't, if a market gets built and you weren't part of the people who are building it, you're going to be hit with a a negative um, penalty. Um, quite often, the penalties are going to be if you roll a certain number and you're not, um, in, you don't have any influence in this market, you'll have to lose something, whether it be a resource or a commodity. Um, if you ever get to the point, like if, if a market gets built and you're not part of the ones who built it, there is a way to get your star on there. There's like a little um beside the market there's a little area where you can do something it's usually um discarding three artifacts or two of the same artifact to advance the appropriate faction track up one but also lets you place an influence marker it can either be in the little star area where you can place influence or if a market has been built and you're not on there you can place your influence on that market so you're no longer being affected by that negative penalty um, but yeah, I think that's it. I think there's the markets I talked about. There's the mining, there's the farming for the different, um, commodities, extra workers, extra workers. Yeah. There's two areas where you can get extra workers. That's right. There's two ways to get extra workers, um, either using water or electricity. And it's supposed to be re represent you're refreshing your workers to make them more productive and you get a new worker when you do it. So you spend three water, you put a, a dice down there, you spend three water, and you get one of the dice from the available pool. Um, like I said, the most you can have are four dice. But if you ever have four dice, there's a good, there's a chance you could lose them if they ever get all together at one time. Because when you're rolling four dice, and depending on where your intelligence level is at, there's a good chance you're going to hit 16 or higher. So you, you may lose one of your dice. But yeah, you can refresh your workers with water, or you can shock them into service with electricity. So by going to that space and spending three electricity, that can also get you a worker. So those are the two different ways you can get additional workers. And the most you can get, ever get are four. Three seemed to be the sweet spot. Three was a sweet spot because quite often you're going to have two in front of you, especially if you're helping with building markets because you're not going to take the ones away from the market until it's done. So you're kind of waiting and that one's sort of in you, on the board and sort of locked away. There's nothing stopping you from removing it, but if you're spending the resources to go there, you don't want to spend them for nothing. Um, but so yeah, quite often you're rolling two dice as it is, but sometimes dice will get bumped and yeah. yeah and for it, it just seemed too easy to, to lose, lose one. Person. To lose one. Yeah. So you might have them for a turn, but lose them right away. Yeah, getting too yeah. smart for their own good. Mm -hmm. I mean, unless you've locked two workers in a place where you know they're not coming back for a while, like yeah. two different marketplaces, for instance, or something like that, yeah. then, then it makes some sense so that you always have two dice. But you know that once they come back, you're probably going to just lose one anyway. There's a good chance. Yeah. Um, I mentioned there's like you get to flip over your um, worker cards if the, if the loyalty level ever gets to the third tier or through the mining. There's the different ways of flipping them over. If you flip over a worker... And they're of a faction where the star has already been hit, then you can put a star on it right away. So that's additional ways of getting rid of stars. So really, um, when you're making the choice of the card where you can take two additional um, 
workers and choosing one or placing a star on it, it can be a wash as long as that faction has hit its goal. Um, but I think in our game, only two, maybe two of the fa- four factions maybe hit the star goal. I can't remember for sure. Yeah, I think only two did. Yeah, I think two out of the four hit all the way to the end of the loyalty track. I mean, one of them didn't even flip. Yeah, one of them never got the to, like, the subterrans never even got to the, um, yeah. second tier, I think. It, it was, they didn't go up as fast. People were just weren't using stone as much. It was the gold and the clay that was really well, getting used. Well, when people went for water, they skipped the part that increased the loyalty yeah. of, or the influence of the faction. Yeah, as I was mentioning on the farming, like a, a, a intelligence level of 1 to 4 will get you up on the loyalty track and it'll get you the commodity, one of the commodity. Uh, the next, I think, 5 and 6 intelligence. No, 5 to 7. 5, yeah, to, five, eight. To, five to 8. 5 to 8 would get you two of the commodity. No, I, one and no. an intelligence hit. Oh, one and one. And, and, and you lose intelligence yeah one in yeah one commodity and you would lose intelligence and then if you're nine or plus total value of the dice there you get two of the commodity and gain intelligence intelligence. and most people hit that one at the one and lose intelligence yeah and then the two and gain intelligence and they just skip the one to four it was normally uh, one to four it all depends on your dice sometimes and who's also there i was very cognizant of that because my other worker that was face down was from that faction i was the only one advancing it whenever i could and it was still so far behind that it, it was, didn't it was matter. yeah it would never get to the point where we were laying a star on them yeah, yeah. well you still won anyway so <laughs> so one other component you didn't mention is yep. the ethical dilemma cards well i know i did mention no, it. right at the beginning did you yeah. yeah that's the one where you flip it and you either put a star on it you're making the choice like I said, either you're helping your friend get away with, with some yes. balloons or oh, you're popping his balloons. Yep. Well, you can cut this chunk wow. of the, of the podcast. <laughs> See, this is what happens when I'm talking. No one's listening. <laughs> um, but yeah, that's the, uh, this is, that's how the game works. Um, and it, yeah, it was Drew's first time playing mm-hmm. and, and Jeff's played it before and yep. I played it multiple times before. Uh, so what did you guys think of this one? I really liked it. I, yeah. I, like I said, I'd, I'd seen it before but hadn't played it. Um, it, uh, like the artwork and thematically, it, it looked like it, it struck a chord with me. So it was so close to the movie Metropolis. Yeah. It does have that sort of feel to yeah. the artwork. Yeah. Um, and, and, you know, the fact that there's this utopian society sitting around. Yeah. That's not, <laughs> not so utopian when, when you, when you yeah. look beneath the surface of it kind of thing. Yeah. Um, but, but they added a, a, almost a, like a comical, Mm-hmm. aspect to it and then you know, like the names of uh yeah some of the, you know like the names markets of the and markets stuff. and yeah. stuff was was meant to be uh humorous um the you know the fact that the the ikarans you know are, are huffing bliss <laughs> huffing to, gas to, in to, the keep, clouds. Yeah. to keep happy um so yeah. i i really like that and, and and you know the fact that you're you're actually trying to upset the apple cart by by creating a dystopia instead of a utopia mm-hmm. you know um yeah, some of the uh, markets, like the Clinic of Blind Hindsight, yeah. Center for Reduced Literacy, Friendly Local Game Bonfire. <laughs> so it's, it's like, yeah, it's almost like a Aurelian kind of yeah. 1984. Well, except you gain more workers by, like, electrocuting them. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you electrocute your workers or <laughs> blast them with the hose. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, so I, I really liked that. That, mm-hmm. that was a lot of fun. The, uh, um, you know, the, the amount of choice on, on the board... Um, initially is a little overwhelming. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's, I think, where the additional weight sort of comes yeah, in this yeah, game. Yeah. yeah. But, well, I mean, once you get the hang of that, um, and, and you can start to see where, you know, where you need to go for certain things. Yeah. Um, 
I, I did have a little bit of hard time with those, those influence tracks because like I said, um, you know, a, a couple of them were just not getting, getting yeah. advanced. Yeah. And you know, my, my, uh, the, the worker that I had, uh, right at the beginning, I, I could use the other one essentially stayed buried for the majority of the game. Yeah. Um, I was able to get my second worker flipped. Um, but I don't, yeah, I never got around to using that perker, that worker's special ability. And yeah, there's, that is a bit of the thing with the game. Um, there's a lot of randomness with the, uh, the abilities of the workers. Mm-hmm. Like, um, some are very good and some are kind of mediocre. Yeah. Well, mine, I, I kind of got myself into a bit of a catch 22 with mine because his, his power used morale. Like it, it would, you would activate it by using morale. Right. And my morale basically tanked out, and I couldn't get it back up. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, and and I mean that that kind of hit me in a couple places too right. because you know I, I used my my dice to let's say you know I'm getting a uh, not not commodity um, getting a resource because all of a sudden you know we started building these markets and I I wasn't fast enough with the first one so right. every time I rolled a six after that. I, I'd had to give up a resource. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So there's the resource that I just spent, you know, entire turn getting is gone. Mm-hmm. And, and then the other markets start to open up. So I, I like, I'm, I'm madly trying to get resources that I'm, I'm immediately losing, mm-hmm. you know, and, um, yeah, it, it's, it's, when the markets start, yeah. people start going to those markets. It's like a rush to get yeah. in there because as soon as someone places their first person on that market, you want to get in there quickly because you don't want to be hit with the penalty. Yeah. But I think with experience with the game, you realize that the resources are less important mm-hmm. if you don't want to be a part of that race right. than artifact cards. So if you keep your morale True. high and get – because mm-hmm. your next turn cards. after a market is built, you just put your influence marker on it by using artifact cards. Yeah, Assuming stuff you have like that. True. Yeah, that's what I mean. <laughs> that's you have to have your morale higher. Yeah, yeah. high and, get... and, and mine was mine was like – at the at the absolute lowest <laughs> line, but you spent yep. most of the game collecting resources, and then to like, try to try not to get hit by the by the, yeah, the negatives. Yeah, yeah. But it, like the artifact cards would counteract that. If you have no resources to lose, you can't lose them, and if, then you can put your influence card down. If, by but there becomes them. the catch on yeah. too. Like yes, yes. If you have if you have the cards that you can only get with your morale being high, so you have to do things to keep increase your morale. Yeah, yeah. And and there really aren't that many things that you can do. Um, yeah, like it's, it's when you're, you're taking your workers back, make exactly. sure you're using food or, um, yep. uh, bliss to, t- when you're taking them back. You recruit you get... with water. I think you got, you can, uh, that oh. didn't you? I don't recall. I think, no, I don't know. Cause I think was... electricity, you shocked intelligence. Oops. I'm dropping the lid but it everywhere. Was, if I'm not mistaken with, with the, oh, I got the board in here, the disadvantage with the market, if you didn't have uh, an influence marker there, if, if you didn't have resource, yeah. you, like it's, you had a choice of either losing resource or commodity. Yeah, it was one or the other. So yeah. if, 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 I mean, if you just don't have that stuff, you're you know, then I can't yeah. I can't pull back my, my dice with food or bliss and, and I can't there can't raise my morale. I can't you know it was yeah, I just found it I got myself into a, a bit of a catch twenty two and couldn't couldn't move forward with it. Right. So, yeah, it is um yeah, when you're taking new workers, if you're using electricity for shocking them, they lose intelligence. You lose two intelligence when you're doing that. If you're using water and refreshing them, you gain two morale. So, yeah, that is a good way of getting more uh, morales by recruiting people with water. Yeah. 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 But otherwise, I, areas, yeah. Yeah, I, I quite like the game. There was um, lots going on in it. Mm-hmm. No, I, and, I really did. Um, a little less confrontational. Like, 
there's not yeah. much to interact with yeah. other people besides a few special powers from your workers. I, I think right. re- really yeah. the only you're bumping dice, and maybe if you bump somebody's die at the appropriate time when he has a bunch of dice in front of him, you, you can might make cause him, him to lose a worker. Lose a worker, or like Drew's maybe. ability. I think you spent morale to give me intelligence a couple times. Yeah, that was that was. Mm. Yeah, and I, I only got to pull that off twice before yeah. my morale bottomed out and yeah. stayed there. And that's that's but. that's sort of the one thing in this game that's you, is a bit more random than anything is, is the workers. So like, yeah, we're talking about how the the varying worker powers can really make it can really be different. Um if if your timing is good, you can actually you can actually open a market and at, at an intentional time. If you if you kind of look around the table and see what everybody has. Yep. Um then I, I and, and then initiate a mar- yeah. like opening a market yeah. and and you can kind of tell who's going to lose out in that. Yeah. Cuz I think um, Randall did that the, well the first <laughs> one I lost out, but then the next two I I kind of looked and uh, I think both times Randall initiated, and then I kind of looked at what you and Marcus had, and knew it was going to be Marcus. <laughs> you know, yeah, like I could see who had what resources because certain like, each market usually requires um, four resources at the most, depending on the number of players. But you know, for us, it was you could use any of the three, and it's always one of one type of material and three, and of, three of another. Yep. So that could be like one gold and three clay. And if I'm holding on to a gold, and, and I, there's a couple of markets out there that use gold, and I can see who has the appropriate materials for the others. So if I can say, okay, well, I can try to not get that person included to get them the negative if, if possible, if they're getting a little too ahead, and, and work on a market that would be harder for them to get into, not impossible, but other people could probably get in there first. Yeah. yeah. So that, that's one way you can kind of mess with yep. people. Mm-hmm. Um you know, if if you notice that someone is really focused on on you know one of the factions areas, um, you know, like there there's that uh, they said that that kind of star where you can you know put your influence markers yeah, the, in for the place per where you're putting your employees for territory. Yeah. Um, you know, if somebody's concentrating too much on one, you can you know you start taking taking advantage of putting your influence there too, so that yeah. they you know deprives them of spots to put it. But yeah, I, I think you're right. It's there's not a lot of places to have direct confrontation and, and doing so takes some maneuvering. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, the, the most is it's like, even if you don't need to go to a specific mine, but someone's die is sitting there and if mm-hmm. they roll a die, they're going to lose a worker. Then sure. Sure. Why not? But yeah. it, it's not a huge amount of influence that no. you have on other players. It's kind of minor little tweaks and stuff that, Easily recoverable for the most part. Well, and you and I talked, uh, you know, a bit about this with uh, um, with Alien Frontiers. In a lot of these games, if you're if you're playing to be confrontational, you're you're likely losing. Yeah, mm-hmm. you know, like if you're if, if, if you're you spending time and, and worrying about other that. people instead of your own strategy, yeah. you typically are going to end up lost. Yeah. 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 Okay. Well, I think we're done talking about this game. So now we're going on to final judgments. So yeah, they're both um, both really interesting. You know, games where you're using dice as workers. It's an it's a nice theme. You don't see it a lot. I think um, one of the other ones out there. I can't remember. There's a fantasy version. I, I think it's maybe one of the first games that did this. I just can't think of the name of it at the moment. But you know, it's not a unique concept. But there's not a lot of games that do it either. Um, because quite often when you're doing a worker placement, you want to have little meeples as your workers, and and that's they're representing things. Give you upkeep with feeding them, depending on how yeah. many. Yeah, it takes a little bit of the 
I don't want to say a bad thing because it's not really a bad thing, but take some of the maintenance out of it and just mm-hmm. makes it a little more casual. I yeah. guess. So this one where you're rolling the dice every time you get them back and, 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 you know, having the variable strengths based on their, their number is, it's a nice, it's a nice, it gives a bit of an extra thing to a worker placement game. Whereas <laughs> most of them are fairly you know, sort of standard. So I, I like that in both these games. Um, but trying to pick one, that I like better it is really hard, you know. Like, <laughs> it's very difficult. It, this was a difficult decision. I like both games. I I think that you know, like have, having the big box edition of Alien Frontiers, mm-hmm. I, I would I would give it to to that. Mm. If you only had the the basic um, the Alien, basic uh, Alien Frontiers version five, yeah. I'd, I'd end up giving it to Euphoria. Mm. Yeah, I think that's fair. I think yeah. yeah, the basic version of Alien Frontiers is probably worse than Euphoria, but with the expansions, yeah. I think it does it does help a lot. Yeah. I mean, Euphoria gets a lot of points for its theme, mm-hmm. yeah, and like it just and carrying it out. It's really humorous. Well. Yeah. It's yeah. got like if you the pay art. attention to the cards and the art and stuff, it, it yep. it's kind of interesting in that regard. Mm-hmm. But Alien Frontiers is. A little more interaction, and with the expansions added in, has a lot more going for it. I think. Yeah, and it's, I mean, you can you can play with sort of. It, it looks like any kind any combination of the of the expansions. You can, you know, use one of them, two of them, all of them, none of them. Yeah. You know, so there's there's a lot of, um, you know, variation in in the gameplay there. Um, but yeah, like I said, if it was just comparing base to base, then mm-hmm. yeah, I think it's it would be Euphoria. But it's yeah. such a fine line. Like it's hard to say that one yeah. is worse because they are both. They're both. They're, they're both, both good games. games. Both yeah. excellent games. Yeah, and yeah, I, I I support that. Like I do think having the expansions for Alien Frontiers definitely gives it a leg up, um, because you know whether you have the original Alien Frontiers and you picked up the expansions along the way, um, or you picked up the big box as expensive as it is. Having all those extra options available to give it a leg up and, and do make it, I think, the better game for now. We'll see what happens when they come out an expansion for Euphoria. Maybe it'll give yeah. it some new life. Hard to say. Uh, you know, based on cost, I would give it to Euphoria because, you know, like you said, it's not not cheap, this big box edition. No. Euphoria, you can still get it. And I was just looking online at um, our local game shop. And he, he has it on sale right now for a really decent price. I think it's like um, Canadian. I think it's like forty three dollars. So like for forty three dollars, yeah, um, you can't go wrong with no. with this game. Because yeah, I, th- I think regular price for Euphoria, well, forty eight dollars currently is yeah. know, about like sixty. Yeah, like sixty like, um, or seventy in places. Yeah, his um his regular price on this is like eighty seven dollars, and he has it on for forty forty nine forty eight dollars right now, essentially. Yeah. Um. So for for just upon price, yeah, I'd have, I'd give it to Euphoria. But when you're taking into effect, effect all the different expansions for Alien Frontiers, yeah, no, I'd have to give it to Alien Frontiers as well. Just adding you can't all that go extra wrong with in. either one. No, you can't. You really can't. You can't. I'm not even sure you can get Alien Frontiers um, base. You might be able to. I don't know. I know um, our local store doesn't have the base game anymore. I, they don't seem to have the, the big I'm, box I'm right sure now either. I'm sure you track it down. You probably can. I, I haven't done exhaustive research on this, so I really don't know. It's quite, probably quite possible. But if you were to get the base game and then start buying the expansions, you'd probably be paying about the amount of, you would for the big box, anyways. So there's that to consider. If you are a completionist, maybe save up and just get the big box. But 
Anyways, uh, I think this this round is going to Alien Frontiers. It's just um, because partially because it's the big box, but you know, even we played it with one of the expansions. Even just one of the expansions added quite a bit to it. Mm-hmm. So, um, yeah, we'll, we'll go with that for uh, for this one. So there you go. This week's winner is Alien Frontiers. Uh, now on to our next segment. Um, so, like I said, we're going to be talking about um, just some of the stuff that's coming out for Dungeons and Dragons, right? Like coming out right away in September here. So, in the next month, when uh, as of we're recording this, at the beginning of August, they're coming out with uh, the new new set of adventures. It's uh, the first set. The first one that's coming out is Waterdeep Dragon Heist um, for character levels one to five. There's a little bit of if you have if you subscribe to Dragon Plus through their app. Um, they have a little bit of a preview article, plus there's also some accompanying videos that you can watch discussing this new um, adventure. And it sounds interesting, because it, um, it's, it's essentially, it's, it's, a, it's the rare kind of adventure that takes place all within the city of Waterdeep. Quite often, like all their other campaigns that have come out so far have been these far-reaching, across-the-continents kind of thing. You know, there's Storm King's Thunder, you're going all over... Um, the uh, the western part of Faroon, like you know, near the the seas and all that, whatever it is. Um, the the previous ones, well, the, even the previous ones where you had like the um, the uh, the what, what's that one with the uh, elemental one? Oh, the uh, I can't remember the name. Um, Temple of Elemental Evil, but yeah, they remade it and they called it something different. Princes of the Apocalypse. Yes, that's yeah. It. That one wasn't maybe as far-reaching as others, but it still had a fairly good area that you had to explore and, and travel around in. So it, it was more contained into as one sort of valley area, but you were, you were moving a lot in this valley and exploring a lot of underground um, adventures. So it was a fairly big one still. Um, and then we have the Tomb of Annihilation, which is taking place on a whole different continent. continent. Okay. Yep. Um, again, taking part of the whole continent and... You have to so, find your objectives. You have to it's find your objectives. It's not just, easily directed. Or... Yeah, you're sort of going all over the place for that one, trying to figure out where you have to go. Um, so this is going to be interesting where it's contained within a city, and you're low-level adventurers in this huge city. Um, reading about it, Yolo comes into play here. He's the, the guy who um, runs that tavern. He gives yep. you your first mission, and he, you know, there's the Yawning Portal, which... Um, if you if you play through the, the yawning portal, it's a bunch of old adventures, but they all sort of start out in Yolo's Tavern. That's where like your sort of central meeting place in that. And Yolo's Tavern also is like the I think one of the main areas you use to access the under under um, mountain. Yeah, Dungeons of the Mad Mage. Yeah, Dungeons of the Mad Mage, which is the next one that's going to be coming out just after Dragon Heist. I think it's like a month or so after. Um, or two, maybe November. It's, it's talking about as yeah. I think their release date is thirteen November. Yeah, thirteen November. So yeah, the Waterdeep Dragon Heist is this. It's sort of like a, it's supposed to be this heist style game where your adventurers are are sort of hired to, I think either not necessarily steal gold, but prevent gold from getting into the hands of certain factions. Mm-hmm. Um, from from what I've read in the preview, so that sounds interesting. It sounds like it could be a good adventure. And the variable villains based off of like mm-hmm. season and stuff so that it's got a little bit of it that sounds like an interesting concept where yeah, you know yeah. you start in the spring and it might be Xanathar or yeah, it might be yeah. some demon or something like it just it's an interesting concept yeah and that i mean it, it'll it does eliminate a portion of gaming in the sense of like random encounters and stuff mm-hmm. because you're in the city so you're not i mean there, there still can be random encounters mm-hmm. but they're not mm-hmm. going to be 
to the scope of a outdoor camping because they're always going to be you know like a local gang or, yeah. or something like that that you have to contend with but i think that might actually add something to mm-hmm. it in a way because you, you're not it's like well today we ran into a group of kobolds tomorrow it was like a dragon and it's just all random it's like who knows what's going to happen in the city it's your then you also have to worry about crossing you know the watch or something like yeah that. like you might something you might do here might get one or someone captured and yeah then... it's like if you get into a fight in the middle of water deep there's yeah. going to be consequences there'll be consequences so yeah. random encounters <laughs> become more role-playing in, mm-hmm. in, in chances rather yeah. than just a combat automatically yeah yeah i think if if people are looking for heavy combat you know they're this they're going to have a little bit of a hard time with yeah. with uh, dragon heist yeah for specifically for that um yeah i i think you're going to have a hard time engaging in in a lot of combat in the middle of the streets mm-hmm. yeah, so see, it's going to it's going to push the rp for, for the like the preview of it it really does seem to be a it's a caper essentially yeah. you know like yep. you're going to have your players sit mm-hmm. down and come up with intricate plan of how to accomplish goals and stuff or how to break into this person's Mm -hmm. house to stop them from doing something and all the while not getting caught by local authorities or being on their good side so that if something does happen you're not going to be put in jail or something right like exactly exiled from the city or whatever the punishments they do in Waterdeep are going to be yeah and then in the preview they talk about a lot of their influences were like you know like the the famous capered movies like the Italian Job or mm-hmm. Ocean's Eleven or those type style of movies where you got a group of people together and they're trying to find the best way of of of, of pulling this off without you and know. the low level ensures that you don't have like a yeah it, magic it, person who's just going to be like okay we'll teleport in grab it all and teleport exactly. out yeah. kind of thing like you're going to have to use your wits more than yeah. just simple magic to yeah. get you through things then yeah. you're such a low level that you won't have the contacts to call on too to try to help you with this kind of thing so you're gonna to have to really do it all on your own yeah and in the meantime as you go through it you'll be building up those contacts in a realistic mm-hmm. manner that when you get to the second part with the uh, under mountain stuff it you'll have resources in the place you start to call upon to help you start exploring and yeah. stuff so it's a good tie-in yeah absolutely and then yeah once they once you get past dragon heist then you can get into um the mad mage uh, dungeons or What's it called? Uh, Dungeon, yeah, Dungeon of the of Mad, Mad Mage. Mage. Um, where then you can get more into the traditional fight everything you can mm-hmm. if you want or or other well, things. Well, my understanding yeah. with that is that, is that each level is is um, unique and, um, you know, like there, I, I think one of them is the there, there's actually like a, a settlement down there. You can, you know, trade just like you were in some other town. Right. You know, so there, you know, there's going to be levels where, sure, it's just, you know, if it moves, kill it. Mm-hmm. Um, others not so much. Yeah. So the, quite a lot of variation in those, I think. Yeah, and they seem to be going on, and they're really starting this um, recently, um, where they're releasing additional products at the same time to sort of complement their games. I think they, I don't know if they started it with Tomb of Annihilation, but I know mean, they like did the dice, it. the dice, dice like stuff. special sets of dice to go with the new campaign. Um, it's an interesting concept. It's I, I, I can see it's you know, a way to help maybe generate interest for them in their products and keep people tied to them. Uh, me personally, I don't know if I'd ever buy the dice because it's yeah. expensive dice yeah. for a set. I, maybe they're really nice dice though. I have never actually looked at them uh, closely and held them. You still just can get angry at them when yeah, they, you know, yeah, when you roll a one, it's like I don't care how <laughs> nice that die is. Yeah, I was gonna say unless <laughs> unless each roll is is essentially plus two. 
then they removed the one from these and, dice. Yeah. yeah, and and added a twenty one. That'd be great. Yeah, yeah. but it, it, it's it's interesting. They come with little special holders for the dice, and ooh. like, ooh, in my day, a bag was good enough. Yeah, a bag is good enough. <laughs> it is. Yeah, um, but you know, they're, and they're also doing this thing now, and I and I don't know if they did this with Tomb. I didn't see it, but um, they're releasing like maps and stuff separately, like. Than the adventure, so like if uh, they don't, they're not doing it with Dragon Heist. It doesn't look like I don't see anything here for Dragon Heist, but um, Dungeon of the Mad Mage. There's a separate maps and miscellany kit, which is like, uh, and they're doing that with this guide. Um, and they also released something or announced something called the Guild Master's Guide to Ravnica, which is like a, a new sort of role playing campaign or not like environment or maybe it's like a city, it's like or a something. mega city. It's like yeah. a mega city. It it correct me if I'm wrong. It's it sounded a little steampunkish. It did, yeah, a, a little, little bit. bit. It I don't know if they had like real tech that you know was a regular part of life, but it was very much a huge metropolis yeah, where think, there's different yeah, factions I mean. and clans to yeah. control of the city. And yeah, if you look at the the image of the cover, it's this woman standing there with. Almost, which almost looks like a, some kind of steampunkish, or not of a steampunkish or what, but she has like this gauntlet on that has like electricity flowing around it or something. It's like she has this weird gear on. It's like okay, this is interesting. Um, so wh- where then is this? Is this supposed to be said? Um, my saying is like, like Waterdeep is supposed to be like the metropolis for Faerun. Yeah. Well, I think Revnica is its own environment mm. so to speak like i don't know that it's actually part of Faerun. so it's, it's, it might it's be its own world potentially because the, at the same time they were releasing uh information on eberron again i think it was which is yeah. a different world yeah eberron is its own separate world that's right so it might um, be that they're just starting to give people some source material to start expanding into unique environments other than forgotten realms yeah it could be cool and, and that's kind of cool and this one that the Guildmaster's Guide to Ravnica also has its own maps and miscellany thing. So there's a few of these starting to come out now that they're releasing at the same time as Adventures. Now I can sort of see with Dungeon of the Mad Mage because it's essentially supposed to be the Undermountain, but not all of the Undermountain because the Undermountain is so uh, huge. You couldn't do the whole thing. But it's supposed to be able to take you from levels 5 to 20 um, approximately. or not Maybe not take you from that levels, but I think you could jump in at any level and start. So... Um, I think it's their first one that actually brings characters to level 20. Before, I think it yeah. was only 15 that they kind of capped out at. Maybe, because even Storm King's Thunder, they say levels up to, I think, 11 or 12. Maybe you can get a bit higher than that, but I think that's where it sort of caps you out, and then you're doing your own thing after that. I think the biggest thing about this one, and it with Tomb of Annihilation, it was there as well. There, there's going to be more variety. Like Storm King's Thunder most of your opponents are giants which kind of yeah. makes certain classes fall out of the curve of usefulness because it, i mean i mostly have constitution dc stuff and giants have really high constitution or yeah. i can only impact so strength effectively so yeah. it kind of hurts certain classes and then it's like uh prince of the apocalypse you're dealing with a lot of elementals and stuff so mm-hmm. A regular fighter might have a harder time dealing with it if they pick the wrong subclass and right. things like that. So Tomb of Annihilation in this one, there should be enough variety, mm-hmm. particularly with this new one, that any yeah. class should be able to operate and be excelling in a specific situation and then take a backseat for the next one. But know that 
it's just this situation. It's mm-hmm. not, well, everything we encounter is giant, so I'm going to get the crap kicked out of me because I don't have enough hit points. I have to run away most of the time. That type of right. environment. And, I mean, experienced players will know we're going to be dealing with giants. They'll probably make characters specific to that adventure. But for people who jump in, it's like this is their first experience or don't have a lot of experience with it. It's kind of, I want to play this. And then it can become less entertaining to have your character not be right. able to participate in a lot of the adventure. Mm-hmm. And I don't see that as an issue with these ones. It's more going to be the situation that you create, the combats that you create. Particularly in the first one where you're in the city, it's like it's going to be humanoids. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So th- there's such a gambit of humanoids depending on whether you give them classes or, you know, if they're just normal citizens and stuff like that so i think it adds a level to this that will make it more interesting as a campaign than their original ones yeah no absolutely yeah yeah so they look interesting i'm, I'm kind of looking forward to them it's, it's the kind of thing where this is probably about as much we'll be able to talk about it um unless we start playing it and even then you know we don't want to give stuff spoilers, away yeah. yeah spoilers um like when the guild master's guide comes out and that's slated for late november um, that might that probably give us some stuff, and they'll probably release some more stuff as it comes closer to it that we can talk about um, to give our thoughts on it. It seems like an interesting, just from initial reading of what they've written out there, it does seem kind of interesting. Like it, it, it sounds like an interesting world. Um, how it interacts with traditional D and D stuff is going to be the thing. Like how is it going to affect the fighters and the and the clerics and all that? Like. Because a lot of the stuff that the materials out there, maybe not solely Faroon specific, is very much rooted in Faroon. Yeah, they, um, they give you the options to make it outside of. Yeah, but like a lot of that material, it's it's sort of based on there. So when you get this Guildmaster's Guide out, and it's, it's like the typical kind of price of a standard adventure book or maybe rule book, I'm I'm really curious of what's going to be in there, and are they going to give you enough? to really work with it that's the thing and maybe that with these whole maps um add-ons you can get that's supposed to help with that i don't know it's always a hard gamble for those because i mean something that's like a world building material if that's what it ends up being Mm -hmm. the people who are interested in building their own worlds don't need this source material true they do it like they're already doing it yeah Uh, Yeah. the people who aren't it might give them a kick to try it, but ultimately they're probably just going to run the campaigns that are published and mm-hmm. that they might like experiment with adding different elements in with those. But it takes so much time and effort to produce your own world and have it feel alive and different mm-hmm. that, I mean, since you're at a high school, you don't have the time for it, <laughs> essentially. Yeah. I mean, you you're, you devote a lot of time to fleshing out world. things because even yeah. something as simple as one city there's so much that goes into making that an environment that yeah. is realistic and it, interesting to be in not just it's a row of houses and you come across people and kill mm-hmm. them or whatever you know like yeah. so i don't know thing with this like they're giving you a i guess it's like a, a city world or whatever it might be great um but how much are they going to support the information? Yeah, are they going to provide a campaign to go with it? Or are you going to have to do everything yourself? Yeah, and that's the and that's the tough part. Like that, you know, for the I'm a, I work full time, so I like being able to take like a campaign book, 
read it and read it as I need it and and use it as I as we as we go um, for for how we play. But if I had to start creating an adventure, I don't know what I'd ever do it. Yeah, yeah, you and. Know? Players go through content that is created much faster than you can create it. Yeah. And that's if they cooperate and actually do what you've planned. <laughs> that's like, true, yeah. The, the most frustrating thing when you're not just running a module is people go off script. Mm-hmm. And if you're not prepared, it can just yeah bog things down, make it unfun. Where when they give you uh, enough information, like Tomb of Annihilation, where they just it's so full of information and life in that continent as you explore it, that it doesn't matter where you decide to go. I know you're contained to the continent. So you go to an area, it describes for me what's there. It's easy to deal with. But if you're on a massive city that you can go wherever you want, and we plan to be in this sector and everyone's like, well, we want to get something from over there. And you go over there and it's like, well, I have no content for this because I didn't support it or I didn't have time to make it kind of thing. It, it can derail something fairly quickly. Mm-hmm. I like the idea of a different campaign setting that D&D can be put into that isn't just straight, you know, goblins and killing them for experience kind of thing. It's right. more of a cityscape that you, they might be a part of it even that, you know, they're not lower citizens. They're just in a different part and have their own class and stuff. Mm-hmm. So that appeals to me, but mm-hmm. I don't know long term if it's a viable product for them to produce. Yeah, yeah, I know what you mean. Like I, I'll have to see when it comes out. I'll probably flip through it first. But uh, yeah, it's not a purchase automatically. Yeah, it's like thing. a do I purchase it? Yeah, it's hard to know. And and but at least it's one of those things where I think multiple people could purchase it and not ruin things. Whereas like an adventure, it's really got to be the person who running it really who who purchases it. Mm-hmm. And, and reads through it completely and then takes people through it. Whereas you don't want everybody buying it and reading it because then, the, the, yeah, it's not a... Yeah, I said that to Jeff on the way in that, you know, like I'm... It's great they're coming out with this new content and it sounds really cool and interesting, <laughs> but I, I likely can't buy it because I'm not going to run it. That's, yeah. that's the thing, yeah. And, and or unless if, you've already been through it and then you want to yeah. buy it after the fact to... They, they tried yeah. to make people buy them even if they weren't running them by putting in, like... Uh, Princes of the Apocalypse, they had the Genasi race. Yes. Yeah, they had some... Or not the Genasi, the... Or is it Genasi? The yeah, elemental, the half-element. Yeah, the Genasi. And, yeah, the Genasi. okay. And, you know, some extra little... Spells and stuff. Yeah. Yep, there were but spells that they put in there. I, they got smart and pulled those out into actual source con- material, yeah. like the Xanathars and Bolos mm-hmm. and stuff like that. And even the Princes of Apocalypse, there was that player's companion that you could freely yes. download. Yeah. You didn't right. have to buy that part. Which was nice, yeah, and I think that like those those were extracted and put into to d and d beyond, yeah as well, so that you, yeah, you didn't you know like if you knew that content was there, um I think you might have paid a little bit more Maybe. for it in there, but in there, but yeah, you yeah. didn't need to go out and buy the entire you know the entire campaign adventure book. to get it and that's one thing that in the in if you're if you're into the whole d and d beyond, you can. You know, if there's all the different campaigns and they release special magic items for those campaigns, you can piecemeal get what you need mm-hmm. to add to your collection without buying the whole campaign, which is nice. Yeah. Yeah. Same with the books, like um, most of the reference books. Yeah, I think you can buy the whole book or you might be able to buy some of it Parts piecemeal. Of it, yeah. I can't remember exactly, but most of it is the adventures. Whenever they release Yeah. Well, I, I think the core uh, player's handbook 
I yeah. think you had to you had to take the whole thing of that. I think you do. Yeah. But I think everything that came after, I think you could take in pieces. Potentially. Yeah, I think so. But it it gives you a good way of accessing it there mm-hmm. digitally if you're if you're wholly digital and not into having physical books. I'm almost I'm in the middle. I like having the physical books, but also having it digitally because yep. then I can easily reference it if I need to look something up while I'm at work and I don't and I'm not going to carry my books around with me. <laughs> I could just look it up on you know online easily. Yeah. Um, yeah. So that's what's uh, that's that's what's coming up for releases, and I'm sure we'll talk more about some of this stuff as as more comes out. But always with the caveat of how much we can talk about if it's an adventure. Um, the other thing I was I mentioned that we would talk about. We'll see how much we have to say about it. Maybe we won't have much to say about it at all. Is this new, th- not sort of new thing? It's been a couple of years, a few years now, anyways, where there's been these popular streams of people playing D and D and putting it out online. Not even D and D, like well, no, lots of the games. Before lots of role playing games. Yeah, role playing games in general. Sure, um, I think D and D has sort of been made more popular now a lot because of it. Yeah, like there's um, well, and certainly I think critical the, roles the one that's most out there. prolific. Yeah, uh, you know, role playing game out there. Yeah, no, it's true. So, um, uh, it's the best supported. Mm-hmm. It's yeah. one of the easier ones to actually play because, I mean, when I first got into role playing, I don't know if Palladium Games is still really a thing or anything, but yeah, they're I'm sure they are. Their their role playing games were so mm-hmm. bogged down in mechanics of <laughs> yeah. like to, to create your character, you had to have like a masters in mathematics and stuff. Like it was a little, bad. it yeah. was a little crazy. So D and D was accessible, mm-hmm. but there was definitely a desire to have like science fiction role playing games and stuff out there. They just didn't do it as streamlined as yeah. TSR used to do. And now wizards of the coast has mm-hmm. continued that tradition of simplistic gameplay that you can kind of step away from your character and make it about role playing. So you can watch a stream where they're acting out their characters and have it yeah. be entertaining. Cause they're not worried so much about, well, Roll a die, carry the one, divide by three. It's just, yeah, it's just playing. It's not about the mechanics; it's more about the role playing, and and that's the thing. Like like I said, there was Critical Role, which is that one with I think Matt Mercer is the the DM, right? Is that the person? I think so. Yeah, yeah. yeah. and then there was the, the I think they they talk about in this latest Dragon issue, the stream of many eyes. I think is another one. I think that's, that's yeah. the TSR or not TSR. Jeez. Wizards, Wizards, yep. Central One. Yes, I'm still stuck in the old <laughs> yeah. days, guys. <laughs> yeah, tactical, strategic, t- strategic role playing. I think it was. It was. Yeah. Anyways, um, stream of many eyes, which is Wizards, sort of little um, one that they kind of run, and then there's, uh, of course multiples out there. You go onto YouTube, you'll find them. Um, I think maybe even through Twitch, you can yeah, probably find them. Twitch channels Twitch that are channels. devoted to different role playing. Yeah, yeah. Some of the some of the YouTube ones are are available as uh, audio podcasts as well. Like I'm I'm listening to um, Acquisitions Incorporated. Okay, yeah. Okay, they've, they've actually running a couple. They've got yeah. the Acquisitions Incorporated, and then they've got their C team. Yeah, not even talking about podcasts because uh, yeah, D and D Raw is out yeah, there. Um, Critical Role, the Adventure. Um, Oh, what's the one that I, I, I sometimes listen to? It's uh, with the um, McElroy brothers, uh, the Adventure Zone. Oh. It's like a there's just three three brothers and their father play this campaign that one of the brothers runs, and it's this. It's based in 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 fifth edition, but I think the world is all out of is a, out of his imagination and everything is. It's quite comical to listen to. These guys are 
on 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 it with comedy because I think they all have like a some a bit of a um, uh, improvisers kind of background kind of thing, right? So except maybe the father, but still he he's also pretty entertaining to listen to too. But yeah, you, you get all these streams out there um, of all these different ways that you can you can enjoy the content. But then how does that affect? Um, people trying to get into the game, they see these streams. Do they get like an unreal? I my think thing so. is an unreal expectation of what mm-hmm. it's actually going to be like when they get into a group. Yeah, right? because I mean, your average gameplay session isn't as interesting as they make it seem. Yeah, because yeah. they are all outgoing, eccentric. Mm-hmm. They're, they're, they're very much energy um, A-type like, personalities that can yeah. bring you know really project onto the screen or into the podcast or whatever they're the kind of people who just yeah you, you feel like oh these guys would be like the the most fun to be with always it's a difference yeah. between having like a-list actors in a movie or your children from a fifth grade school play <laughs> you know like it, it's what you I've bring some to it like that, yeah yes. <laughs> like it, it, it really is about yeah. the people around the table and I, I mean these people are doing great for normalizing a hobby that really was looked down upon yeah. mm-hmm. for a very for long, a long time. time it used to be like the devil showing influenced yeah, in it yeah. and, and yeah. it's showing that it's it's a, just a fun interactive environment but unless you're the type of personality that's going to engage that way your sessions are going to be well i roll a die 20 i do this much damage and someone well, else's turn yeah right? like a big fight is going to take you a couple hours to yeah, be in at session the, at yeah. the same time i, I think it you know, for those uh, those people, I think it could give them an idea of what it could be. Yes, mm-hmm. you know, give them some inspiration of you know, you know, you know, far from it being looked down upon, you know, for you to be really outgoing and and to RP the hell out of your character, that enhances the hell out of oh, me. it definitely sure. does. Yeah. It, if you yeah. if it inspires people to try and reach for that level mm-hmm. of gameplay, it definitely like mm-hmm. you think about our last session for Tomb of Annihilation. Yeah. Where you guys were interacting in a camp and things went sideways. As and, they do. <laughs> yeah. And, and I mean, it could have been someone does something and they it doesn't get described mm-hmm. and it's just a die roll. But instead, it's like because the situation demanded it, it's like people were getting into it and describing their actions. It wasn't I... Yeah just grab someone grapple it's like i jump at them and tackle them to the ground and try and pin them there and yeah it's yeah. like someone cast a spell and it's described as a tent blowing away in this huge <laughs> grand gesture type of thing rather than just okay this is the effect and yeah. let's well, continue that's not what on I meant to do Whoops. yeah and like <laughs> yeah. sessions increase in entertainment value immensely when you get people on board and mm-hmm. can interact in that way mm-hmm. but on average most of the situations it's a lot of people standing there looking at someone else interacting with the DM mm-hmm. and it, it's not quite as interesting as they make it seem. And it can be, it, it can definitely be. should I think be. The, the takeaway is like with D and D it's, it's you're playing it. Yeah. It's to get around a table with uh, typically with friends and it can be tough in this game to break into a group you've never been with before. And, yeah. and a lot of stores are doing it where they're doing D and D nights, trying to get people in together who maybe don't know each other, but for a lot of players, especially you know, for me too, where I'm a very insular person, I tend to stick with my group of friends. I'm not looking to go out and meet additional people to do this with. I want to stay with my comfort zone. It's a comfort zone. level. It's a comfort yeah. zone. But that said, you know, when we get our group together, it's those stories that come out of it sometimes that are that really make it 
fun. So maybe we don't have the level of role playing that you see on these these kind of casts and stuff. But when you approach it, that's when the stories become something. Yeah, and, and it's like, those moments where, okay, um, this character is bored with this, so they fire an arrow at this person and his head explodes. Oh, well, well yeah. that's fine. <laughs> <laughs> that happens. Not yeah. the intention, but we'll it works. With yeah. it. <laughs> we'll work with it. Yeah, our, our last session was was a, a at least a 20-minute tale on Monday morning after I, after yeah. I got to work. <laughs> Yeah. yeah, and it was like we spent a what it was essentially a four hour session, mm-hmm. I think. It was one camp, just yeah. one interaction yeah. that blew up from a conversation to yeah. a combat to Running an interruption with to... conversation, plus yeah. trying to calm things down to the party members just interacting in different ways and mm-hmm. not like playing off of each other because <laughs> they're just playing their characters at yeah. the time that it's like, hey, it's your turn. What do you do? And because I've been sort of clamping down on people interacting outside of their player initiative turn. Mm-hmm. It It's like people just act <laughs> and it creates a situation that everyone reacts to and it could be completely inappropriate, but you guys end up running away at the end. Having because it's like, <laughs> yeah. it's escalated to such a point where it's like someone does something to de-escalate and it's like, okay, it's coming down and then someone else comes to their turn and they're like, and I do this, and everyone just groans because oh, all of a sudden oh it escalated far beyond. I pour gasoline on the fire. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so yeah. it's those stories, and those happen, and you shouldn't be discouraged if you try it because you've been watching mm-hmm. these channels, and your first session is awkward and kind of yeah. looking through rule books and stuff like that. It's just those aren't the norm, but when they happen, it creates something that is entertaining more so exactly. than anything else you yeah. could have done just like say watching a movie or something like mm-hmm. it because yeah. it's your own creation it's your own story i i think the the thing that i i find is probably the most unrealistic whenever i watch or listen to these things is the amount of talk that that the dm lets go mm-hmm. like in in your home games you are not your dm's not going to put up with that for you know too much but you know they're they're entertaining for the camera. They yeah. know they are. Yeah. So there's there's a ton of you know crosstalk and jokes and and so I mean it's it's totally entertaining that way. Yeah. But but you can see how it, it's just completely derailing the the DM in in a lot mm-hmm. of cases. Yeah. yeah. You know it's just a mm-hmm, mm-hmm, yeah that's hilarious to bring it back to the game. You know? <laughs> and then yeah. more jokes and it keeps trying to bring it back. Mm-hmm. But yeah, and it, it's. A lot of it will also depend on the DM and how much they let go. Because there's two types of play. There's what you're describing, which is for the entertainment of the people mm-hmm. watching. So they need yeah. people to watch and subscribe to their uh, podcasts, yeah. their Twitch streams, whatever. Mm-hmm. And then there's the stuff that can happen in-game, which is more entertaining. And the DM has to try and keep that outside stuff to a minimum. Mm-hmm. It's like you can't stop it because it is... When someone wants to crack a joke, they got to do it because you're not you're not supposed to just be like, no, we're not talking as real people here. We're yeah, playing a yeah. game, right? Mm-hmm. But the more that can happen in game, the more entertaining it actually becomes yes. as a story. And I, I mean, I have many experiences throughout my life since <laughs> I was probably in junior high about role mm-hmm. playing that I can remember because they were such interesting scenarios that we put ourselves in. <laughs> and you have a good DM that can run off of the players ideas and extravagant ways of doing things and can just create stuff on the fly it just creates such a good story and a good feeling and entertainment for people that 
I hope people don't get the wrong expectation from these, but I, I think it's a good thing if it brings people in mm-hmm. and they can be realistic about how they're going to build as a role player. Because you're going to start off, unless you're an eccentric, outgoing, that type of person, you're going to mm-hmm. start off kind of shy and unsure, looking through your rule book of how do I play this character? Like, did I do this right? How do I figure out armor class? That type of thing. It's it's slow. But once you get into it, it's definitely rewarding. Mm-hmm. And probably more rewarding than watching Twitch people because, I mean, it's your experience. You're not just relaying something that they did that was entertaining. Yeah, the, the whole Twitch experience, I, I, feel, I feel, has its own different niches. Like, I, I, I've been watching, I started watching Twitch recently, probably because I've been getting into Fortnite a lot. Um, so I, I've, I've searched out there's different streams to watch. And the ones I tend to watch are more about the person doing the streaming than it is really the game. Like, I, I like to watch them do the game because some of them are just phenomenal at how fast and and how good they are at the game. But if they're just good at the game and they're boring to watch on, on the stream, I'm attention. not going to pay attention to them because yeah, this person's boring. I want somebody who, in, like, there's some really good people out there who will interact with their chats and... And, and, and they're somehow still playing the and game somehow and somehow still winning. playing the game and doing amazing <laughs> at it. It's like, wow, I just... They're good. Um, but... Uh, going with that like that's one thing i watch it for but i hadn't even checked out like some of these other streams like and i imagine with stuff like dungeons and dragons it's going to be yeah it's going to be about watching them play the game they're not going to be interacting with this with chats at all so it's almost like almost useless having a chat with those kind i of have things in Twitch. i have seen them a few not have you? like uh, not a D cast but uh it's like a shadow run one i believe oh really yeah there, there was a channel that does like I was watching it because of uh, my BattleTech Kickstarter. The mm. Hairbrain Screams had schemes had backed a Twitch channel that was doing like multiple different things. I did like BattleTech games and different role playing games and stuff. And mm. they had it like you could interact with the DM in the chat to kind of give suggestions about uh, like how this consequence should happen, okay. or else. Like their BattleTech games, you could donate money mm-hmm. to like influence the game by giving like re rolls mm-hmm. to someone that you felt deserved it because they're oh, in character. And yeah, stuff. acquisitions so ways, incorporated uses. Yeah, they, do they? Yeah, it's a way for them to create that are money. watching can can essentially control well, not control the game, but they can certainly influence it. Yeah, interesting. So it gives them a way to generate some cash to keep the channel going yep. or donate to charity, whatever they're doing, or just make a profit and yep. give your viewers a way to interact with interact it. Interact with yeah. it. That's interesting. It's like a D and D thing where give that guy um what, what, inspiration yeah. or something like that. Yeah, it's, it's, give some biddies to for some inspiration. Yeah, it's typically yeah. inspiration and advantage. Yeah. So oh, okay. they can take advantage on roles, and so the crowd but, can but reward time, someone for so being can a the, character. So can the DM, right? They're giving they're giving him re rolls. Mm, interesting. <laughs> yeah, so... the, the players really screwed up here. Let's give that monster advantage on this attack. <laughs> yeah. yeah, that'd be interesting. Okay, I might have to check some of those out just to see what they're like. Yeah, yeah, interesting. Okay, so overall, I think it's great for our hobby because yeah. it does normalize it. It just does temper draw expectations. To it. Yeah. yeah, and I mean, it can be hard, especially if you're just an individual who doesn't have a group to find it can be really difficult to find that initial group to get comfortable with yeah 
because not everyone has a, a pool of friends who've been doing this for years. Yeah. And yeah, it, it, you can jump in with them. It's and especially if you're the one that wants to get your friends, you have to be the DM most of the someone time. Someone has to be the DM, and yeah. that it's not going to be what you're expecting them when you're watching the Twitch screen. It, yeah, it, mm-hmm. it's much, much more difficult. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it is, <laughs> but it's rewarding. It it's is fun. Yeah. Okay. Well, I think that's a good place to call it. Um, so we will send off. Um, you're probably not going to hear from us. Um, until the end of the month, maybe, because I have a week off at the end of the month, so maybe we can get something going at the end of August or probably early September is when you'll next hear from us. Uh, but again, as I mentioned at the beginning of the podcast, if you have suggestions for us, please send us a message. Um, but anyways, thanks for listening. Uh, make sure you follow us on our website, boardnowgaming.com, uh, Facebook, uh, Twitter. You can find us on a subreddit. Um, you can subscribe to us on iTunes, Stitcher, CastBox, or Google Play. Um, we have a guild on Board Game Geek, and there's a link to it on our webpage. Um, so please check us out. You know, um, reach out to us. Let us know how what you think of the show. Um, rate us. You know, if there's a way of rating us, like there is on iTunes and maybe even Google Play. I don't know, but um, every every little thing helps to get us out there and, and people um, tuned into us. And then you know, like like to see our audience grow. That'd be nice. But um, thanks for listening, and, you know, until next time, keep on gaming. Good night. Good now. Peace.